And I realized that I was sort of in the throes of a midlife crisis. I thought I'd avoided it with 40 and 45, which always seemed to be the big ones that people kind of lament. But for some reason, 47 was the one that kicked me in the lady garden. And my husband suggested he was like at a loss. He was like, are we going to get divorced? And I'm like, maybe, I don't know. Like I hate everyone and everything. And I just want to run away. And so he suggested I write about it on my blog. And I wrote this blog post called anyone else falling apart, or is it just me? And I just kind of laid it out. I was like, listen, I feel like I haven't done anything. I feel like my life is half over. I feel like my husband is sort of my roommate. Um, I don't know if my kids are going to be nice, you know, like all these kind of things. And I hit publish and, and it just lit up and it was just, you know, thousands of comments and responses from other women saying, oh shit, I thought I was the only one feeling like this. If you're a busy mom, but you have writing goals and dreams that you're working on, this podcast is here to help you achieve them. My name is Jackie, and I'm a mother and an author of a self-published young adult novel and a firm believer in the power of moms to create. This podcast is about finding inspiration and insight. It's about learning new ways to fuel your writing and to share your writing with the world and sometimes actually all the time it's about taking a moment to just laugh at and appreciate the crazy everyday chaos that is being a writing mother hey guys welcome to another episode of these moms right i am really excited today to bring you a conversation with jen mann Jen is a mother of two and author of the New York Times bestselling book, People I Want to Punch in the Throat, Competitive Crafters, Drop-Off Despots, and Other Suburban Scourges. Her books are inspired by her immensely popular mommy blog, People I Want to Punch in the Throat, in which she delivers up the real, sometimes ugly truths about being a mom. In her most recent book, Midlife Bites, Anyone Else Falling Apart or Is It Just Me? She is once again dropping the truth bombs, but this time about entering middle age as a woman. She also has a podcast called No Pants Required. Jen's book, Midlife Bites, was one of the reasons I was inspired to start this podcast. Her honest brutality, her hilariousness, and her vulnerability really resonated with me. And if you have ever doubted your own voice or been unsure about what your voice even is, then today's conversation with Jen is exactly what you need to hear. Without further ado, please welcome Jen Mann. Hello, Jen. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Jackie. I'm excited to be here. I'm such a fan of all of your work. And so, oh, such thank a- you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's such a treat to have you here. Um, so I want to go back into your, you know, your journey, the writing, the, the blogs, all of that. But um, I always like to start with what people are excited about today. I know you have the new book and the podcast. Like, Yeah, which I should have a copy to hold up, but I don't. So yeah, I have a new book out. Uh, it's called Midlife Bites. Anybody else falling, anyone else falling apart or is it just me? That came out uh, last month in January. And, but what am I excited about today? I'm excited that we got snow actually. Like, um, I don't mind winter if there's snow, like, and I live in Kansas and Kansas, like literally right now we are in day two of snow days because we got about, I don't know, six or seven inches of snow. 
and, um, and ice. And so our kids are out. Like, I mean, I have teenagers, but we're going to go play in the snow and I'm so excited to do that. But then tomorrow it will be 55 degrees. And so all the snow will be gone. So, so I have to enjoy it today while I can. Oh, wow. That's just Kansas for you. Like we could also throw in a tornado in the middle. We'll see. That's true. All of my knowledge of Kansas does come from the Wizard of Oz. Everyone's does. You're not alone. <laughs> okay. So here's a question. Will you wear pants then? Cause I know that's a thing for you. Yeah. So I am wearing pants right now. They are fuzzy pajama pants because you can't see me. So <laughs> that's good. Um, but yes, to go out in the snow, I will wear my snow pants for sure. It's a little too chilly not to. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I was thinking about pants with you, Jen, because I know this is like a common theme. It is for you. And for me, I have to wear pants because my I get thigh chafe, like my thighs oh. are, are too big and then uh -huh. they will rub against one another. So do you have a secret? I do. Well, I don't know if it's a secret. It's so interesting. So I think what it is, is I think I have a, um, Oh, how do I describe this? So, so I don't know how PG your podcast is, but here we go. Stop yes. me if I get too bad. But um, so some, most of my friends, so yeah, so like this year I've discovered dresses because I think dresses and skirts are even better than pants because you don't have like these leg irons on you. But then the chafing question comes up always. And I'm just huh. like, well, so I buy these like jockey should pay me money. I buy these little jockey skimmies they're called. And they're just like mm. these little, they look like little uh, lightweight um, like bicycle shorts only mm. they're and they come in different lengths, you know, depending on your skirts or whatever. Right. And I wear those and then there's no, there's no chafing. And I said that to a bunch of friends and they looked at me like I was crazy. And they're like, why would they're like, I don't wear underwear. And I was like, Oh what? yeah. So they don't even wear underwear. So I was like, Oh, then you'll hate these. Cause they're like biker shorts. So yeah. So that's how I prevent it. And they have really lightweight ones that you can wear in the summertime. And it's just like they, they get a breeze, but no chafe. So you're welcome, jockey. So send me money. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm having trouble getting past the, the ladies that don't wear any underwear. Okay. That's my new life goal. <laughs> I don't know. It seems a little breezy and I would be afraid like a gust of wind, especially in the, like I could do it. I could do it in leggings or something like that, but um, no, in a skirt or a dress, like a good gust of wind comes again, all your knowledge comes from Kansas or about Kansas comes from the wizard of Oz. It is windy here all the time. Like we have, we have little wind bursts all the time. So it's like, you can't have that. I can't imagine. So now I'm going to keep a much closer eye on them when we're out and about and be like, I mean, like literally, like I saw one earlier this week and I was like, are you wearing? And she's like, no, of course not. And I was like, <laughs> like we're in a public place. <laughs> and she's like, who's going to get in there and find out? And I was like, I don't know. And it was chilly that day. And I was like, it's chilly today. I would think you'd want a little protection, but nope. She said no. So to mm. each their own, you do you girl. Yeah, this is okay. I'm intrigued, but I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll have to explore that. I feel like that could be a whole <laughs> topic for an entire Absolute. episode, <laughs> maybe a book. I don't know. So tell me about your book, though, Midlife Bites. So Midlife Bites is uh, basically the story of my own midlife crisis. Everything I write at this point is nonfiction and humor. So um, a couple of years ago, I was kind of venting on my blog. I have a blog called people I want to punch in the throat and I don't write on it as much anymore as I used to, but I'd been feeling really kind of out of sorts. And I'd been kind of feeling like my life was out of control and I didn't know what was happening and where I was going. And I was going to turn 47 
And I realized that I was sort of in the throes of a midlife crisis. I thought I'd avoided it with 40 and 45, which always seemed to be the big ones that people kind of lament. But for some reason, 47 was the one that kicked me in the lady garden. And my husband suggested he was like at a loss. He was like, are we going to get divorced? And I'm like, maybe, I don't know. Like I hate everyone and everything. And I just want to run away. And so he suggested I write about it on my blog. And I have, um, I have over a million followers on social media and I have a really robust and, um, engaged community that we share a lot with each other, but I had never really talked about this topic. And so I went on there and I wrote this blog post called anyone else falling apart, or is it just me? It's still on my blog. You can go read it at any time. And I just kind of laid it out. I was like, listen, I feel like I haven't done anything. I feel like my life is half over. I feel like my husband is sort of my roommate. Um, I don't know if my kids are going to be nice, you know, like all these kind of things. And I hit publish and I had not been, you know, I, like I said, I didn't really blog much anymore. And so that blog had been pretty dormant and it just lit up and it was just, you know, thousands of comments and responses from other women saying, oh shit, I thought I was the only one feeling like this, you know? And I was like, I know. And my, um, my editor at Penguin Random House, uh, Pamela Cannon, she reads my blog and follows me on social. And so she saw it and she immediately sent me an email and was like, this is it. Like, this is your next book. Like no one else can talk about this topic the way that you can. And so I need you to write this book. <laughs> and at the same time, I created a private Facebook group because I realized I have a lot, like I said, I have a lot of followers and I have a lot of different groups and pages and things like that. And everything kind of has a theme to it. But I really didn't have a place where middle-aged women could just come together and sort of talk openly and honestly about this. Like, chub rub, you know, I mean, you know, all these things, everything from that to, you know, hormones to, you know, my husband doesn't want to have sex with me anymore to, you know, all these different things. And so I created a private group on Facebook and we're at, we're closing in on 30,000 members now. And it's also called midlife bites. And it was called midlife bites first. I named it that because I I wanted to attract Gen X women. Mm -hmm. I wanted to, um, I feel like our moms kind of they were much quieter about perimenopause and menopause and midlife and all this kind of stuff. And I just thought, I want to find women my age that want to talk about this, that don't feel like, you know, what does that mean that you keep seeing where you like, they're like 10 years ago was 1990 or whatever. Like, you know, I want women who feel like that. <laughs> they're just like, no, it was like, I just was like in high school, like 20 years ago. Right. No. <laughs> you know. And so they, I think that like we, um, we, I just wanted a place where we could talk openly. And so I named it midlife bites because of like reality bites. And so I just thought that would be kind of a fun way to let people know what we're doing in there. And so when it was time to name the book, we named the book, the same thing. And, um, and it just, and it's just a kind of a, I don't know, it's just sort of my journey and sort of what I've been trying over the last couple of years, I will be turning 50 next month. And, um, but I'm actually excited for it. I think it's going to be awesome. I keep hearing, cause that's where the midlife bites group has been so helpful mm. because there's other women. Like I'll say like, tell me what's good about aging. Like, tell me what's coming. Like, tell me. And so many, uh, there's a lot of uh, women in there that are just a few years older than me. And they're kind of like, listen, you're going to get through this and then it's going to be great. You know? So, so I'm actually looking forward to 50 now, but, um, 
but it's just, it's sort of what worked for me or what didn't work. I'm pretty honest about what doesn't work for mm-hmm. me either. You know, I kind of did what the experts uh, told you us to do. And, uh, and so some things worked and some things didn't, but it's been kind of my whole journey. Wow. And it's had such an impact. I know myself reading it. I just picked it up because I think you're funny. And then, you know, 10 pages in, I'm like, wait a second. Am I having a bit like this? <laughs> like, oh, I totally am. That's why I have a podcast and like, you know, trying a new book and taking courses and <clears throat> kind of reinventing. It's a time to sort of reinvent ourselves. And I think if we're not reinventing ourselves, we probably should be. I think that's the other thing is that you're kind of. I find that women are either out there, they've already kind of, they don't realize why they're reinventing themselves, but they just know that they need to, and they mm-hmm. they are feeling compelled to do that, or they're kind of stuck and they're not sure what's happening, why are they stuck? Well, it's time to reinvent. It's time to pivot and try something new. Um, I also started a podcast in my, in my midlife crisis. So I think <laughs> I decided that podcast was like the new blog, you know, oh they, my- I was yes. like, well, everybody has a podcast now. I guess I'll get one of those too. <laughs> It's so funny. I was thinking that the other day too. I think blogging actually is kind of, to me, I think blogging is coming back in some ways. Like, you know, there's long form Facebook posts and Instagrams you see now and like journaling and stuff um, that I see a lot of people doing that. And I think that there's a need. I just had, in fact, just this morning, I got an email from somebody who read Midlife Bites and was like, I think I need to start writing again because I talk about that a lot that like I had gotten away from my like everyday kind of blogging and writing and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, and it is my therapy and it is kind of how I think and how I, how I know how to feel. And, and she was like, even if no one reads it, like, I know I'll feel better. And I'm like, exactly. Get back in it, girl, do it. Totally. Yeah. I had that. Yeah. I stopped writing for five years because I had that like professional life panic, like, Oh my God, I'm not going to make any money writing. I need to actually (laughs) like, get a better day job. And so it really like stymied me for five years. And then I did have that realization like, oh my God, I'm so, I'm so unhappy now. Yeah. It's, it's a tough balance too, because you're right. It's really difficult to make enough money writing to sustain yourself or to stay, you know, to sustain the family or whatever. But yet um, it's such a necessary thing to do. So I always encourage everybody, even if you can just, you know, 10 minutes a day, just write mm-hmm. some stuff down, pen on paper. It doesn't all have to pay the bills. Yeah, totally. I, I, in fact, I think maybe you could come up with a word. Cause I put this out on Twitter. Like we need a word for when women, like it's like the hangry of writing. So that feeling you get when you haven't had that 10 minutes to write for like a long time. Yeah. Okay. I need to think about that, but yeah, that's, that is, there is a word. There's got to be a word for that. Yeah. I know the feeling. (laughs) Yeah. And I know, you know, busy moms, like sometimes that 10 minutes is even too much to ask. They're really at that different stage, you know, and the kids are early. I know your kids are teens now. Yeah. So you have a little bit. I actually did the bulk of my writing when they were small. Isn't that weird? Like, but Hmm. I wrote at, I would use, I used to write in the pickup line. I used to write at soccer practice. Like I read it. Um, well, I didn't, my husband did. My husband read, read an article about <laughs> Stephanie Meyer oh, yes. when she was writing Twilight and Twilight was like so popular and I had never heard of her. And he came to me and he's like, all right, what's your excuse? He's like, this lady has four kids. She's written this bestseller book. He's like, and her kids like swim practices and stuff. And I'm like, well, I watch my children practice. And he was like, yeah. <laughs> 
No, he's like, you can. And it's true. Like my son played baseball. So I would, I would like pay attention when he was like on base or he was up to bat. And I was like, yeah, go you. And then I'd be like, you know, they're in the dugout. And I'm like, oh, who cares? You know, like I would be writing. So you can, you can, if you, if you can squeeze it out, you can sometimes you can squeeze it out. Yeah. And actually, now that you say that, I've heard moms talk about like being so productive when they had the constraint of, uh, time. And then uh, one of the moms I was talking to recently said, then when her husband took the kids for the whole summer, yeah, she, she's like, I got the same amount done as, yeah. as when I had like all four kids. I used to only write like during nap time and I could get so much done in like an hour and a half. And now, and then when my, my youngest went off to all day kindergarten, I just thought, oh my God, like, you know, everything is going to be, I'm going to write like, you know, 18 books this year. No, I got the same amount of work done, if not less, like, cause now I'm sort of like, oh yeah, I can go to lunch. Sure. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, let's go to lunch. You know, whereas in the past, like, no, I can't do anything. So mm. yeah, it's crazy. But maybe a little bit more balanced, at least if you have a little bit I more time. I think so. Cause I don't think you can put up, I, I, I don't know that you can sustain that sort of grind. You know, mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of people, you know, I think it's when you get, when you first get started and you're first starting to create a career for yourself or whatever, you have to kind of put mm-hmm. that grind in, but it's, it's unsustainable. You can't just keep doing it. And I've seen so many writer friends of mine that burn out and, and I, I kind of stepped back a while ago and my, and I'll be honest. I mean, my, my, you know, my, my iron cooled, my business suffered. And that was part of what sent me into the whole, I haven't accomplished enough kind of thing. Mm. You know, I was looking at some of my friends thinking, oh man, I should not have like taken my foot off the gas. But then now like, yeah, I'm in a much better, I feel like mental state maybe. And, and I see all of them, not all of them, but several of them kind of breaking down at this point now where they're just like, I can't, I just, and they're like walking Mm. away completely and I never want to walk away. And so I just, I don't want to be in that part. So but I think they'll be back. Mm. They just need a really long break, you know? So, yeah. I mean, you talk about that in your book, right? How you realized at one point that you weren't ha- like socializing with people and they were, you know, your friends were having birthday parties without you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's a thing to remember. Like, yeah, I was saying as a busy mom, you got to find that time to write. But if you totally cut yourself off, then you're going to yeah burn out and lose some of the energy that we get from right i think you have to figure out what fills you and what what depletes you and for me what fills me is to be surrounded by quality people not so much like i don't need like a lot but i need like really good quality and i wasn't even getting that anymore and so i had to make time for that and i had to go out and find it again because i had said no so much because i was so like laser focused on my schedule and, and I didn't have room for that. And so now it's like, I literally put things on my calendar and I say like this week, I'm going to reach out to a friend and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it on this day. And, and it's one of those things that's sort of like whoever's available, (laughs) like, you know, I have Tuesday at 10, I would like to see anybody who can come, you know, kind of thing. And it works well, but yeah, I think it's a matter of, I'm still a big fan of time blocking. I think that time blocking is the only way for busy moms to get anything done, Mm. but I just had to block in some me time as well, which I was not doing. Can you tell me more about time blocking? Yeah. So time blocking, I learned um, actually before I started writing, before I started writing, I had, I was a realtor 
and I had a real, I had a real estate uh, company. And when I was trained, they taught us about time blocking because it was really for many of us, myself included, it was sort of the first time that we did not have a boss telling us what to do with our day. And so, you know, you didn't have set hours as a realtor. You, uh, you don't have set hours. You don't earn an income unless you sell a house, you know, it's all commission-based only. And so you're really kind of out there on your own and you could fritter away your whole day (laughs) and, you know, and not get anything done if you weren't careful. And so they taught us time blocking where you would say like, and you would fit, you would fit it to however worked in your schedule. And in those days um, I had a brand new baby. And so I fit it that like every Thursday morning, I did not have any appointments because on Thursday mornings, my son and I went to kinder music every Thursday morning together because that was my time to spend just one-on-one with him. We'd go to our little music class. We'd have a great time. And if people would call me and say, can you meet me on Thursday? I would say, no, I'm sorry, but I can meet Thursday afternoon. I can meet Wednesday morning, Friday morning, whatever. And then I would pick times a day where I would just answer emails. So I would like maybe Mm -hmm. just do emails in the morning and I would do, and those in those days too, like my husband, he's a real techie guy. And so he really upgraded my technology to make it work better for me too. Whereas like we put Wi-Fi in our house, I got a laptop and, you know, things like that. And so I could literally in the morning, he would bring me the baby and my laptop and I would feed the baby and check my emails. You know? so, yeah. And so it was like stuff like that, where it's like, so you, you, and then like at nine o'clock or whatever time you decide is your day, you know, your time block, you're like, okay, I'm done checking emails. And what you've done is you've gone through them all and like prioritized, of course, and you know, that sort of thing. And you sort of put things into folders of what's important. What can I, what needs my attention right now? What can be put off until maybe tomorrow? And, and, and what doesn't need anything, you know, what's just spam or crap or whatever. And then, um, but like it, you know, when your time is up, your time is up. And then it was like, okay, and now I will cold call people. And now I will, you know, for the next hour, I will cold call and I will try to find new listings or new clients. And, and so you just, mm. you know, you do it this way. And I still do this with writing. It's like in the morning, I always look at my emails and my social media first and see what's happened overnight. Like for instance, I woke up this morning and found out that Facebook had banned me for 24 hours because <laughs> something I put up yesterday. And so I had to be all mad and pissed off and email everybody and be like, ah, I've been banned. But, um, you know, and so it's like, I do that in the morning and then I try to schedule like this kind of thing, like podcasts and any sort of interview. I try to do it like mid morning. Cause then I know like by this point, all the, all the morning drama is over. Kids are off to school. Hopefully at this point, you know, things are quiet <laughs> in my house and I like to get it all done before lunchtime kind of thing. And then in the, in the later afternoon, that's when I like to write. And then I write it a lot mm. at night. I will do that oh. as well. And so, so it's just, but it's whatever. I mean, I know mm. people who like to get up at five o'clock in the morning and do their writing then because they like it. Then I like to get up at, I like to get up between, I like to go to bed at a normal time, but then get up at three o'clock in the morning and write then. So you just, it, it's kind of like whatever works for you, you have to, but as long as you're kind of blocking and you know, they, I see people who have timers even that they like literally have them on their desk, you know, counting down. I kind of just keep an eye on the clock and I'm like, okay, it's noon. I'm, I'm done, you know, or especially when I'm scheduling things, I'm like, well, I don't want to schedule a podcast at one 30 or whatever, if I don't have to, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. you have to be flexible, but if you can, mm-hmm. you try to fit it into when it works for you. Mm-hmm. And I like that because I did pull my Facebook group last week about the most common types of blocks Uh and distraction um, block was the, and that it was the one that came up the most. And that's 
definitely that where you can wind up basically mismanaging your time, right? You, you, yeah. Yes, you, you need to check Facebook, but do you need to check it that much? Do you right. know? <laughs> right. And that's the thing, like you're sort of like, and, and it's easier said than done. I mean, there are many days that I still go back and, you know, I mean, I love a good TikTok, you know, binge, but, but I try to do it maybe, or, or I'll do, or I try to do things at the same time. Like, you know, at night, um, my daughter, I have a 15 year old daughter and she likes to watch TV mm. with me at night. Mm. And so we'll sit there together, but I will definitely be going through Instagram at that point and just sort of like doing all my little check-ins and likes and comments and that sort of thing while I'm sitting there with her. So you can kind of, I don't know, you can kind of do things at the same time too. So it's like, I'm constantly working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can I get that sense. So I'm glad you talked about the, you know, the gen man from the real estate days because I'd love to hear because I know your your real big start came when your that first blog post really went viral mm -hmm. from people I want to punch in the throat. Can you tell tell us about that experience? Yeah. So I was, um, I was selling real estate and my husband, I, it was 2011 and my husband had joined me in 06 because he'd been laid off during the recession. And um, I was selling real estate back then too, but I was sort of selling it like at that point, I was going to have a, our second baby. I had my first, my first literally went on every listing appointment with me and that kind of thing. Like he was just, <laughs> he likes, you know, I could strap him in and he'd just go and he was a really happy baby. But then I thought, oh God, how am I going to do this with two? And so I was kind of looking to hire somebody to help me with real estate. And um, my husband was laid off and he was like, I, I should work with you. And I was like, Oh my God, no, like we will get divorced. Like, like husbands and wives <laughs> don't work together. And, and he's like, no, it'd be great. And then he was going to do it just until he found something else. Because at that point we really didn't know how bad the recession was going to be. It was very early at that point. We didn't, the housing crisis hadn't happened yet. And so he was like, no, there's plenty of work for us. <laughs> and so we, uh, we did that. And then he was not able to find another job at that point. And we weathered the housing crisis and we got through it. And we, we ended up actually kind of liking working together. It was convenient that you, we could, we could sort of balance each other out. If one person couldn't do something, the other could between the kids and the job. And so, um, but the, the hard part was, is that we worked here at home together. Um, like I'm sitting at my desk and my husband's desk is like five feet away from me. And you know, and he was just always there. Just, Hi, you know, and, and the kids are always there. Like I, before we started this, I said, you know, it's, it's a almost wake up time for the teenagers and someone will come looking for food. Like, but only it was babies constantly, you know, making noises and hanging out in my office with me. And I was like, ah, so it's kind of going crazy. And, um, but we were self-employed and in the United States, self-employed people do not have very good insurance and it's very expensive and it's hard to, to purchase. And so we had really crappy insurance. And so he was like, well, you can't, uh, you can't get therapy because we don't have enough insurance or money for that. And he's like, but you should write a blog because writing is therapy. <laughs> and he said, uh, and all the moms have one, you should go get one. And so this was 2011 and it was sort of the rise of the mommy blog. He was right. A lot of people had a blog and I went and I looked at these blogs and I just thought these women were insane. And I thought, who cares this much about strangers? <laughs> like, why does anyone care what this woman thinks or does with her day? Like, who would ever be interested in what I'm doing? Like, I don't even understand this. And most of them were very... Um, 
they were very sugary too. Like it was mm-hmm. just a lot of like, you know, I love being a mom and I love <laughs> baking with toddlers and I love dusting and, you know, just, and I was like, what? Who I was does? like, no, I'm going crazy. I don't understand. <laughs> And so my husband said, no, don't you see, you'll start a blog, but you'll, you'll be the anti-mom blogger. You'll be like, I love my kids. I love my husband, but this shit's hard. (laughs) And so he's like, and you'll call it people I want to punch in the throat because you always say that. And so I started people I want to punch in the throat (laughs) um, in April of 2011. And then that December, I wrote about my elf on the shelf and I wrote, uh, I was sort of the first person on the internet to sort of talk about that Christmas magic is bullshit. <laughs> that it's like that we are the ones making all this magic. And, but who are we really doing it for? Like, do the kids care or is it us that cares and we're doing it to show everybody what great moms we are? Like who, why are we doing this? And so I was like, we're already stressed out. Why are we making it more stressful? And so I wrote this blog post and in those days I had 70 readers most of them were related to me or had gone to college with me. <laughs> and uh, they all, you know, came back with, hell yeah, you know, you tell it, Jen. But they always did. I'd never had a negative comment ever at, up until that point. So they were always on my side. They were the original fangirls, you know. And then, um, I don't know, they just shared it, which they'd always shared my things anyway. Like, they were always really good to share my stuff. But for some reason, that one just, it was like, you know, it caught fire. And uh, in 24 hours, it was read by a million people. And so when that happened, I remember I was sort of sitting in a corner, you know, hyperventilating into a paper bag. And my husband was like, what is wrong? I thought this is what you wanted. Because on our first date, I told him I wanted to be a writer. So he's like, you said you wanted to be a writer. And I was like, I wanted to be a writer since I was five. But my gosh, I didn't think it would be like this, you know. (laughs) And I could only really focus on like 95%, even probably 98% of the comments were positive. But I kept focusing on the negative ones. And I was like, there's people that don't like me. He was like, no shit. So he's like, I hate to break it to you but there are people everywhere that don't like you and <laughs> and so um so he was like listen i think this is your chance i think this is your opportunity and because at that point you know i live in the middle of the country i didn't know anybody who was a writer or an agent or an editor and he was like i think we can leverage this i think we could get you a career if you do it right and so um He's like, you know, you have to write something for tomorrow. Cause, and I said, oh, no, I think this is great. Like, we should just let this go. Like, you know, they'll probably read it again. And he's like, no one's going to read it again. <laughs> you know? and he's like, and so he's like, no. And, and then I was, then I had like the whole like, uh, you know, imposter syndrome, fear. Mm. I was like, no one will. Re-. I said, I'll never have a million reads again. Like a million people are not going to read it. And my husband is very, um, he's very honest, very direct. And he just looked at me and he was like, well, no, of course not. And he's like, but here's the thing. Uh, he's like, you, I had created uh, some social media accounts that night when it was going viral. I didn't know anything about social media, but all that existed in those days was Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. And I'd created accounts on all those platforms. And I got, I, I had the most people on Facebook and I had 17,000 people on Facebook that night that followed me. And he's like, There's seven, yeah. And he's like, that's 17,000 people. And he's like, write for them, write them a story, tell them something. And so I was like, okay. And so then I just started writing like every day and growing it as much as I could over time. So yeah, but it kind of launched everything for me. That damn elf. (laughs) That damn elf. I love it. 
And I wish that I had read it back then because I definitely felt that as a, a mom, like just, I was always trying to like pawn my children off at, with random strangers I'd meet at the community center. Oh. You know, I'd be like, let's do a swap. And <laughs> I'm like, I just met you, lady. But I, what I found was that other moms, because I, you know, was a writer too, a wannabe writer. Uh-huh. And so I always had this want to be writing and not to be with my kid. And then I felt like so many times the other moms are like, nah, I'm just good. I, I don't need to swap because I'm, what else am I going to do? I'm, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. So I think that it's so awesome that you struck on that nerve and it's cool. Like you can see that pattern you have. I'm really I, like saying the things that women need to hear at that time. I think so. I think that's kind of been my trademark over the last mm. 10 years. Um, we just, this, this December was sort of the 10 year anniversary of the elf post and looking back over Uh, you know, I've written 600 blog posts at this point and I don't know, seven books or something. And yeah, it's a lot. And a lot of the books, the ideas for the books come from the blog. They're not necessarily, you know, I don't cut and paste anything. Everything is always original in the books, but the themes Mm. come from the blog where it's like, okay, we, you know, I have a whole book just about you know, raising little kids because I wrote so much about that. And that resonated so much with people. You know, those were the big stories back in the day. Those were my big posts. And now I think, you know, the midlife, it was sort of, and the the response I'm getting to this midlife book and stuff, it's very, very similar to what I got with the elf on the mm. shelf. It's very similar. So, yeah. So what what's happening? Like, why do you think that we don't hear that more? Yeah. Well, I think there's, I think we're, I think it's actually two different things. So I think with the elf on the shelf, it was more, well, actually maybe it's kind of the same. As I say with the elf on the shelf, it was more kind of putting out this whole, like, I got this, like, I I'm, I'm a good, I'm a good mom. I'm, I'm a great mom. I'm a terrific mom. And for everybody on the outside looking in, everything is perfect and everything's amazing. And I think maybe it might even be the same way now with middle age that it's like, we are struggling internally but we don't want to talk about it. And so we medicate or we drink too much or we work out too much or whatever it is, you know, whatever it is that you, whatever you're throwing a craft too much, like we're just, we're throwing ourselves into stuff rather than having like meaningful conversations. And I think that both of these, both of these ideas, the elf on the shelf and the midlife crisis, you know, I write about it in midlife bites I feel like looking back the elf on the shelf time was probably my first midlife crisis. And I just mm. didn't even realize it, that it was like, I just felt this major disconnect from everybody around me. I felt like nobody mm. was talking about anything real. And so I have a chapter in the midlife bites book. That's called like cut the small talk because I felt like, you know, I go to, especially when your kids are young, you know, you, you do, you go to the community center, you go to the sporting things and all the parents want to talk about is like how busy they are, what the weather is. And like, you know, look at Johnny play soccer. And, and I wanted to be like, you know, Hey, uh, what do you think about what's going on in like freaking Washington? Like, what do you think that's going on in, you know, in the school board stuff that's happening right now? Like I wanted to have like, like, you know, Hey, anybody else got chafed today? Cause what the heck <laughs> you know, I wore this skirt and I'm, I got swamp crotch for days. Like, does anyone want to <laughs> help me with that? Like whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like, and I just felt like nobody really was, everybody sort of put on this facade. And so I think with both of these posts, I, I you know, both of these ideas, it's like, I kind of, I saw it with the elf and I think, and I'm definitely seeing it with midlife. It just is, it's just not as fast, but with the elf, it was like, 
thank you for being real. Like, thank you for Mm -hmm. saying like what everybody else was saying. And it kind of ushered in a whole like genre of like bad mom (laughs) kind of stuff, which wasn't kind of what I was angling for, but but that is, that's sort of how we get billed is that we're the bad moms, you know, but we're also the fun moms. We're the cool moms. We have fun. We're the ones who are, you know, this might be wine, you know, kind of moms, and so, you know, which is not what I was trying to do. But on the other hand, like, yeah, I can tell you for sure, like, I'm not drinking, you know, weeds that are stewed, you know, that I pulled from my yard or whatever, because I think it's going to have like, you know, toxic cleansing capabilities or something. And so I think with midlife too, we, as Gen X, we kind of started the honest conversations about child raising. And we were kind of the first ones to say, no, listen, this sucks. Like we need people to talk about, we talked about postpartum depression. We talked about, um, you know, traumatic birth stories, you know, things like that, that people just Mm -hmm. kind of hushed up and didn't really want to talk about. And I think that now with the midlife I think again, Mm. we're not going to be quiet. And I see so many, and maybe it's just because of the algorithms that, you know, maybe this stuff was always out there, but I know that when I was looking for it, I couldn't find it. And now I'm just seeing more and more of it. But I think that we're just going to have to have more honest conversations. And I think that people are ready for it. They're just afraid to do it. And mm-hmm. so I, I hope that this book will kind of start that I've, I've heard from a lot of women who are like, I'm giving it to a friend and then I'll say like, read it. And then let's talk about it, you know, kind of thing. And I'm like, that's perfect. That's all you have to do. I'll start the conversation. You just, you know, you finish it. Yeah. And it's such a rich conversation. I think uh, it's definitely not something that I was ever prepared for as a young woman. No. You know, you think of aging as like, gray hair I was always picturing gray hair and I definitely it's hair as a theme but it's not on my head it's like (laughs) everywhere else when you wrote about the nipple hair in your book I was like I'm not the only one in fact I've decided to grow them out to see how long they will get my husband looked at them the other day he's like I thought that was an experiment I'm like this experiment is still on it's like that's like at two inches amazing. We should like braid them. Well, and even that too, that conversation with our husbands too. I just today in my midlife fights group, I just saw a post from a woman who said that she finally sat her husband down and talked to him about how unhappy she's been for the last Mm. several years. And that he was like, I knew something was off, but you were cool as a cucumber. And so I just let it go because you didn't want to fight with me and everything. And his life wasn't changing. He was fine. He still had clean underwear in his drawers and dinner on the table. And so he's like, I don't know. I knew you were weird, but I figured whatever. But and so, and now it's like, she's having this conversation with him where she's like, no, listen, things have to change. Like we need to do better. And so, and he's like, he's on board, you know? And I think that's, that's the other thing too, is I think that as women, we don't advocate for ourselves enough in any any sort of dynamic, you know, whether it's work, home, you know, whatever. And so I, I, th- I, I think that this book pushes that too, that you have to talk to everybody. Uncomfortable conversations are the best. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and what about writing? One thing that I've noticed talking to writing moms is how writing, I feel like maybe it can uh, be that answer to the midlife crisis because I see them really finding their voice and expanding in a new way especially the moms that maybe didn't pick it up until like their 40s and that yep. you know what do you think about about writing as as part of that conversation I definitely think that's a thing I think that for me personally 
I mean, I didn't find success as a writer until I was in my mid thirties. I didn't even start really seriously until I was in my mid thirties. I had written a lot for other people and I, you know, I have a degree in creative writing and I had a lot of, um, sort of technical, you know, experience and things like that, but I'd never written for myself. And I really didn't know what my point of view was. I mean, I knew what my point of view was, but I would try to write like everybody else. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I was like, well, this seems saleable. Like this sounds Mm -hmm. like something. And even my very first book proposal, when you write a nonfiction book and you sell it to a publisher, you have to write it. You don't write the book first. You write something called a proposal and you write this proposal and then they buy it based on the proposal. And so I had this opportunity where um, an agent was like, write a proposal, we'll send it off and we'll see if we can get you a book deal. And so I wrote the proposal for my first people I want to punch in the throat book, the competitive crafters, drop off despots and other suburban scourges book. And I wrote this and I wrote a very like, because I do like, you know, I, I used to do a lot of business writing. I used to write annual reports. So it's like, so I can like be very, right. <laughs> believe it or not, I can't write without F-bombs like commas and, you know, and vagina <laughs> jokes. And so I wrote a very like, you know, boring, like businessy proposal. And I sent it off to her and she came back with, what the fuck is this? And I was like, <laughs> that's my proposal. And she was like, who, who is this? She's like, this woman is so boring. And she was like, no, she's like, you need to write your proposal, like in your voice, like your voice mm. is what makes you different. Like you're she's like, everyone has the same thoughts you have. She's like, but it's how you express your thoughts. It's what you have mm. to say about them. She's like, that's your voice. And this proposal needs to be your voice. And so I was like, so I have to get in there and just be like, you know, I'm fucking, I'm Jen fucking man. <laughs> She's like, practically. And I was like, okay, I could do that. And, but, but that was sort of the first realization I had where it was like, you have to set yourself apart. And so, mm. but you need those for me personally, I needed those 30, 35, 40 years to figure out my mm. voice and, and to be confident in my voice because I am not everybody's cup of tea and I can be a little abrasive and I can not, you know, I can say things that people will disagree with very strongly. They very strongly told you I got banned from Facebook today. (laughs) You know, like I say things that, you know, that there are lots of people out there who want to hear what I have to say and agree with me, but there are a lot of people who don't too. And so you have to kind of be like confident in it and stand in it and be like, no, this is how I feel. And especially if you're writing nonfiction, especially if you're writing humor, it's just like, no, this is what I feel. This is what I think. This is what I have to say about this. And this is my point of view on this. And I needed that life experience to get there. And I think that between the life experience and then getting into your thirties, forties, fifties, where you are starting to realize that you don't care what people think of you anymore as much as you used to. And I think that helps a lot too, because that will give you the confidence to do what you need to do. Because writing is a job where you have to bet on yourself first because nobody, you know, even me, I've had, yes, I've had editors and agents come to me and say, I want to publish a book with you, but yet you still have to be, you still have to be confident and be and, and know what you want. You know, you have to be, because they are also looking for like, what can they package and how can they put this on a shelf and where's this going to fit? And you have to be like, no, I don't fit on that shelf. I fit on this mm. shelf or I need mm. a whole new shelf. Like I, we need a shelf for me, please. Like you have to be the one to say that because they're not going to say that to you. Wow. Um, you just shared so much amazing stuff in there. I want to loop back on a couple of things. So one thing you mentioned, which I really appreciated was that, you know, your editor telling you that you had the same thoughts as everyone, but that 
the way you share it is different. And I think that's important for, you know, moms, writers to remember that you don't have to say anything new. You just have to speak your truth. I've heard this come up a few times lately and that the way you described it is really well, because I feel like I, I thought that way for so long. My first novel was um, set in Tokyo because I lived there and, and I, for so long, I only thought it was valuable because no one else was writing YA in Japan. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I was so stuck on that idea. Like, I have to do something new. You know what I mean? Yeah. So after I wrote that, I was like, I guess that's all I got. <laughs> that's the only thing unique about me. And so I feel like that permission, it's, it's a small thing, but it, it is really, really powerful. They just. Right. Well, and I think blogging kind of taught me that too, because coming up through the mommy blogging ranks, everybody has a potty training story. Everybody has a, you know, PTA story. Everybody has all these same stories I tell, but Mm -hmm. it's how you tell them and, Mm -hmm. and what you want to convey with that story and what your message is. And so you could definitely set your book in Tokyo. Like, I think that's interesting because nobody has been to Tokyo, you know, probably in these YA books. And like, I've never been to Tokyo. And so if I was reading this book, but to me, I think it would be probably just as well if you said it in New York city, it's the story that matters Mm -hmm. and it's how you tell the story. It's just speaking your truth and you speak it in a way that is only you. And so I think that's so great that you, you got that insight from your editor so early. And I don't know, maybe you, you had known it all along, but to me, it was something that I just, I didn't know how to verbalize it. I knew that I had a very strong voice and a strong point of view, um, but I didn't think, and even just this with the Midlife Bites book, I mean, she was like, no one, she's like, there's a lot of like technical stuff out there. There's a lot mm-hmm. of medical books. There's a lot of, she's like, but on the, and on the flip side, there's also just a lot of like empowerment, how to, like how to, how to be a stronger, more resilient person you know, at any age. And I think what she described it as, is that she's like, this could be like, you are a badass, but for like midlife bites and, you know, for midlife women. And, and and I did, I read so much self-help, like when I was trying to write this book, because I Mm. knew they were going to kind of market it a little bit as a self-help book as well. And I wanted to fit that formula and fit that the way they do it. And she was so right. She's like, everyone has the same advice. It's just how they give it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and and you read like Jen Sincero, like you are a badass. And it's like, she's more like me. She's like a little bit more abrasive (laughs) and, you know, and then you read like, you know, Brene Brown, who just is like beautiful, like flowery, you know, midlife takes you by the shoulders and shakes you. And I'm like, oh, that's so beautiful. And I'm like, no, it kicked me in the lady balls, but I love that you said that. (laughs) And so it's like, everybody has their way and, and it works for, if, if you're authentic to the way you are and how you write, then it works. Yeah. And, um, and what about now the podcast? So what inspired you to start that? Oh, what inspired me to start the podcast? Well, I didn't really want to blog anymore. I was kind of tired of blogging and I thought a podcast, like I said, everybody's got a podcast. I should get a podcast. So I was like, well, a podcast seems like I had done one a few years ago with my friend Denise Grover Swank. She's another uh, local author. And we did two, two midlife mamas a few years ago. She lives here in Kansas City and we would get together in person and we would do it together in person and we would record like four episodes at a time. And and she's very, um, she's so organized and great. And so she would like get it out, but she is also prolific as hell. She has written probably, I don't know, 50 books or something crazy. You know, in the time it took me to write Midlife Bites, like I think she wrote eight books or something. I mean, (laughs) she's just amazing. And so we kind of, so during COVID we drifted apart because, you know, obviously we couldn't get together and we tried doing a few like zoom kind of things and the chemistry just wasn't mm. there and it just wasn't, we weren't feeling it. And mm. so 
we went on a hiatus. And so then a few months ago, I think it was October, I decided that I needed to do something. Like I needed some sort of creative outlet. Mm. I didn't want to blog anymore. And so I thought, oh, I'll start a podcast. And so I started this podcast. It's called uh, No Pants Required with Jen Mann because I thought, perfect, you don't have to wear pants on a podcast. That's where I like podcasts. <laughs> and so, um, and I just wanted to interview women of a certain age, mostly women. I do have a few men, but women of a certain age who are kind of doing different things. And I, mm. it's a lot of authors just because those are my friends and those are who I really wanted to talk to. It's people who I think are interesting. And we just sit down and we have conversations where we try not to talk about the weather and we mm. try to talk about actual things that like what keeps them up at night and why? I mean, I just put out yesterday, I just put out uh, the episode with Jen Fulweiler and she's a stand-up comedian. She's a best-selling author and she homeschools six kids. And she like self-funded her own like comedy tour with her on her credit card. And I was like, I have so many questions. <laughs> you know? So so it's like just people who I just, I'll hear their stories or I'll know them personally. And I'll think that's a crazy story. Like we should come up, we should come on and we should talk about that. So it's just me talking to people. So if moms want to have some practice or modeling on how to have those real conversations to get yeah. past the, the small talk, definitely to the take a listen to the podcast. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, cause I, I don't really have an agenda. Um, you know, I think it's interesting cause it's sort of like, like this, I don't feel like we have an agenda like today, like we don't really have much, but a lot of times when I go on these podcasts, it's about, you know, especially if it's a shorter one, if it's like a 20 minute or something like that, mm. it's very much like, tell us about your book. Tell us about your past. How can we find you? Where can we follow you? You know, and it's mm. that kind of thing, which, Hey, I love that too. Please, <laughs> please promote the shit out of my stuff. Like, I love that. But I also really like sort of the long form where people just have conversations with one another and kind of go with wherever the, the conversation flows. So we talk about really d weird stuff because I'm, I go down weird rabbit holes. Yeah, I've I've heard some of the rabbit holes. They're very entertaining though. <laughs> and I have to say, I learned from your your episode with Lisa Rowe that mom com was a genre and not just something I was joking about on Twitter. Yes. So I have been telling everyone now about how like amazed I am by the learning from your from your podcast about this thing called mom right com. well my agent i interviewed my agent early on and she talked about mom com she represents okay. a ton of mom com authors and i was like hold on i was like i think i could write mom com and she's yeah, like you i'm could. positive you could write mom com and she's like just yes. do it and i was like wait a minute and so then i started thinking about it and i was like what and then she hooked me up with lisa because she also represents lisa and she was like you should talk to lisa lisa's got this great book that's right up your alley and it is it's like pta band mom like drama that's not really drama but i love it so so yeah so she yeah but i was like this is a genre like I didn't know that. And then I think I saw your thing on Twitter. Didn't they tell you, like someone told you like, or I thought saw it on Instagram where someone was like, there's no romance, which I was like, oh, perfect. Yeah. Cause I can't write a sex scene. So I love that. That's super hard for me to do. I, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I was asking about that. Oh, cause I, cause it, cause it sounds like rom-com. So then I was like, does that mean, because I feel like for me, what I'm seeking right now is purpose and it's not a romance. Yeah. And this version of me, that's not the fantasy that I have. The fantasy is about meaning and purpose and like success. Right. Right. 
And so I was, I was a little scared. And so I did ask that uh, another writer in that genre and she said, no, it doesn't have to have romance at all. So are you writing a mom-com right now? I mean, no, but I think I should be. I, I don't know what I'm writing right now. That's the whole problem. I have so many ideas. It's, I can't focus up and figure one out, but I got to figure it out. But I think to me, mom-com makes the most sense. And I think like a mom-com with a sort of a middle-aged heroine sort of, you know, maybe what Lisa's doing, you know, second marriage kind of thing or, totally, you know, and widowed, I don't know, something, but I think that would be kind of fun. So it's just not the usual drama. It would be different kind of drama, but well, I don't know. I got to think about that. I'm going to noodle that for a little bit. And I feel like there should be lots of bleeding in it. Bleeding? Bleeding. No, no. What do you mean? Well, I was just thinking like, I haven't gone through menopause, but from what I've heard from my sister's age group is that there's a lot of bleeding involved and like that's oh. something. See, okay. So here's my advice Okay, that, um, that my aunt gave to me. So my aunt is my mother's age, but she's the only one I can really talk to about lady business because okay. she's actually, she was a nurse for many years. She was a labor and delivery nurse for many years. And then she went into just women's care. Right. And what she told me was that as long as I kept, I have an IUD. And as long as I kept getting new IUDs, uh, or if you say on birth control, like whatever it is that you're doing, just sail it through, just keep it going. Like, like I technically Mm -hmm. probably can't get pregnant, but keep the IUD, keep the birth control, whatever it is. And so she's like, I stayed on birth control till I was like 65, but then I didn't have near, whereas my mother had like a horrible time with menopause. And so she's like, I didn't have near the troubles your mom had. And so, yeah, so I'm like, I'm just, and so I have an IUD, so I haven't had an actual period in probably, how old is mine? 15 years. And it's amazing. I've only had one hot flash in my whole life at this point. What? Okay. This is, everyone needs to listen to this episode just for that little (laughs) life hack right there. Cause I've been a little bit scared because one of my sister's friends said she almost went to the ER at one point. So much blood loss. Well, and what's frustrating too, and part of what, and part of the reason why this conversation even came up with my aunt and I was because when I was researching midlife bites, like what, like this book has gone through so many rewrites and so many different iterations, but early on it, it was going to be more, I wanted it to be more like medically and like, mm. like actually like have like backed up research shit in oh. it and which was <laughs> stupid, but I had was doing this research and I found out that like in the United States, the number one elective surgery for women is a hysterectomy which instantly pushed you into menopause. Right. And I was like, why the hell would you do this? And so, and it was like, and so I, I went in my group and I asked them, like, who's had a hysterectomy and why? And it was always, you know, excessive bleeding, or I had, you know, um, you know, cysts, like all these different things, but like Uh. every solution that every doctor had for them was like, yank that shit out. Like, <laughs> you don't need it. Like you're done with your baby days. Like, oh my gosh. And, and they would just yank no. it out. And I was like, no. there's got to be other ways to fix this shit. You know? I mean, the fact that like I'm bleeding so much that I'm in the ER, like there has got to be something we can do other than just like pull out all my interior plumbing and immediately send me into menopause. And yeah, it's just, it's amazing to me that if men went through the shit we went through like oh my god the world would come to a complete stop like they'd work three they'd work three weeks a month like they would just oh, i can't like, it's man days like it's my mansies i can't come into work you know 
I thank you for your voice because I know it's like hilarious also, but I, I, you really have changed the lives of so many women speaking <laughs> these words of truth and being so bold with your, with your voice because you just blew my mind about menopause in like 30 seconds. Like <laughs> I've been literally terrified about going to the ER because of uncontrolled um bleeding for a long time so um, one last question so what piece of advice would you give to gen men um uh right before maybe the gen that hadn't yet written like right before you wrote the elf on the shelf post Mm. before it all kind of like really kicked into gear for you what advice would i give myself i would the advice i'd give myself is probably um publish more i think i think that i I took a very safe route by sticking to the blog and really just blogging and social media. And I put a lot of reliance on social media. This was all before, you know, all these nasty algorithms kicked in and, mm. you know, you, you know, I used to actually be accused of like people seeing too much of my stuff. Like they used to be like, Oh, you're always there. <laughs> you know? Those were the days. You know? <laughs> and now it's like, Oh, you're still here. <laughs> you're like, yes. I'm not mm. here yelling into a void, mm. but I put so much stock in all these platforms and that they'd always be there and that they would mm. always sort of, um, show everything. And so I think I should have probably published more and I mm. should have um, started a newsletter much sooner and got, instead of having a million fans on social media, I should have a million subscribers instead. Mm. Mm. That's some good, solid advice. Well, if only we could go back, yeah. <laughs> but I always yes. tell new writers now, like if you're starting now, like start your newsletter, even if it's just five people start it now, because the newsletter is the one thing you pay for it, but you can control it and you can purge it. You know, you can see who's not reading it and get rid of them if they're not reading it. And, yeah. you know, but it's just, it's a better way to reach people anymore now than social media. So speaking of that, how can, where can people find you? Probably the best place to go to find me is my website. Uh, it's jenmanwrites.com. Uh, people I want to punch in the throat.com is still out there too. And that's where the blog is. And you can read all my blog posts there. But both of those sites have all the links to all my socials, all my newsletter signups. Please sign up for my newsletter, the podcast, like all of it. So all of that's on all those sites. Or you can always search um, on social media if there's a certain... I don't know, there's a certain platform you like best. I'm either Gen Man or I am people I want to punch in the throat. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on the show today. I felt like it's been so much fun. And I have also learned some very useful things about oh, good. My, the future of my loin. So <laughs> well, that's always my that's always my goal. Entertain <laughs> and educate. I always like to do that. So good. So I did both. Yay. And, and inspire. Don't I think you do that one too. Oh gosh. Well, it sounds weird if I say it. So, but thank you. <laughs> That's true. It is. Yeah. It's better. If someone else says it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jen. This thank you. So this much was fun. a lot of fun. I enjoyed yeah. talking to you, Jackie. I appreciate you having me on and I'm excited for you to see what you do with this podcast and I'm happy Done. to inspire you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll talk to you soon. Wow. That was such a great conversation. I hope that you felt as informed, inspired, and uplifted as I did. So here are the top takeaways. Number one, know what energizes you and what depletes you and plan your life accordingly. Number two, distracted, use time blocking to help you make the most use of your day. 
Number three, it's okay. Some people won't like you. You are not everyone's cup of tea. Number four, everyone has the same thoughts as you. It's your voice that makes you different. Number five, you have to bet on yourself first. And number six, newsletters, newsletters, newsletters. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Speaking of newsletters, if you'd like to join my podcast newsletter, you can find a link to that below. That includes a freebie resource on finding more time to write. Thanks to Joanna and Ellen for filling out my podcast feedback form. I love to hear what you moms enjoy and what you want to hear more of. So there'll be a link to that in the show notes as well. And lastly, I'm going to be running a workshop on overcoming writer burnout and procrastination. So check out the show notes for links to that as well. As always, it would help me out so much if you could like and subscribe to this podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your shows. I will talk to you guys next week. In the meantime, happy writing.